If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast, which is so cool to see. When I started this back in April of 2020, right when COVID started, I had no idea where you know this would end up. And I'm just so thrilled to see this podcast grow, how many listeners we've been able to impact, all the amazing guests that I've been able to talk to, all the listener stories we've been able to hear. And so I just want to thank you for being on this journey with me. And it is only appropriate that for the 100th episode, I have a very special guest. Today, I'm talking to Gina DeVee. And this was a really cool moment for me. I have been a fan of Gina's work for the last two years. I was recommended to read her book probably right around the time that I was starting this podcast. And her book, The Audacity to Be Queen, which we talk about a lot in this episode, was so transformational for me. And I really, I mentioned this to her, but I really think it's one of those books that No matter what stage of life you're at, when you pick it up, you're going to be able to take with you something really, really powerful and inspirational. So I got to sit down with her today and we talked about so many different things when it comes to relationships. She talked about her own journey in what she calls the school of love and had to overcome so many different obstacles to finally identify her relationship patterns and then become aware of them to the point where she was able to then change them and how she attracted her now husband, which she talks about how her relationship is now the easiest part of her life when it used to be such a big hurdle in her life. We also talk about what it means to be a queen. And you'll notice in this podcast, Gina works primarily with women. I know I have male listeners. Male listeners don't go anywhere because it's really about the message underneath. How do you learn to own what you want, own what's important to you, own how you want to feel in relationships. So when you do start dating, when you do start getting into wanting a new relationship, you know exactly 
how you want to feel in that relationship. You know the exact type of person that you want to attract into your life. And I think regardless of where you're at in your breakup, if you're a male, if you're a female, Gina's message really comes down to having the courage to own who you are. And I know how important that is for me because until I got to the point where I knew who I was, there was no way that I was going to be able to be clear on what I wanted in a relationship. So not only encourage you guys all to listen to this episode, learn from Gina, but I also really encourage you to go pick up her book, The Audacity to be Queen. Welcome, Gina, to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. I am so honored to be able to speak with you today. Oh, Kendra, the pleasure and honor is mine. Thank you so much for having me. And I was sharing with you before, but this is one of the the rare occasions where I've you know, read your book before and, you know, have been such a fan of your work. And so when I got the email to have you come on, I was just so excited. And I would love if you could, I mean, I know you have such an extensive story of what led you to where you are today, but I would just love if you could give my audience for those that haven't read your book and aren't familiar with you a little, you know, preview of your story of what led you to be who you are. Sure. Sure. Well, every woman has a story. And, you know, in some ways they're not different and in other ways there are the the unique elements. So hi everyone, I'm Gina DeVee. I'm the author of The Audacity to be Queen. And my story began um, really in the suburbs of Detroit. My parents were school teachers and I grew up sort of with this like mixed message of you can be, do and have anything that you want, but like be reasonable and you know, stretch a dollar and use coupons and, you know, go to an in-state school. And so there was sort of this like confinement, like out of like, I think trying to protect me. And yet like this, from a spiritual perspective, anything is possible. And so I didn't grow up rich or poor. My parents were married. It's just, it was kind of like go to college and get a job. And yet I think like most women, us little girls had a really big vision for our lives. We wanted to play a big game and, you know, dazzle and shine our light. It's why we wore tutus and sequins and, you know, played dress up and and all those types of things that little girls often do. And I did all the, the, the right things. You know, I was like pathetically good little good girl. I like, you know, did well in school and I was compliant and went to church and took piano lessons and, you know, went to college and got the job. And I found myself, you know, in my mid twenties, like mid to late twenties, $75,000 in debt. I had a master's degree in clinical psychology. I was working 75 hours a week. And by the time I was 30 years old, I was also living at home with my parents in the suburbs of Detroit. And so I was like, this is not the life I imagined for myself. Meanwhile, you know, chronically single dating the local loser rock stars of Detroit. So it was like, what happened to my big life? And finally, I just, something had to change. So I decided to believe in geographical cure. And I moved to LA because it seemed like everybody there was wealthy and beautiful. (laughs) That's great. I think that's why I connected so much to your writing because I was such a, 
my, like my parents will tell you anyone that was around me growing up. I was such a vivacious kid that like had all the dreams, wanted all the attention. (laughs) And then somewhere along the way was received the message that that was too much. And that you don't want to be the kid that always raises their hand in class. You don't want to be the smartest one because that will make, you know, boys not like you or all of those messages that we receive growing up. I think as I've gotten into my thirties, that's when that has started to come back to me of like being able to restore, like, that's okay. It's okay to be back in touch with those things. And I think it's such an important thing in relationships. I think there was, you know, we got to dream of like Prince Charming, you know, our Prince Charming growing up. And then it was like, no, you just want to get a partner that has a job, can take care of you, is stable. And then at that point you should be, you should be happy. And I love how you talk about like the, the rock star person that you were dating. How did that whole message only he actually work? If only they were (laughs) an actual rock star. (laughs) And one thing you talk about in your book too, is these ideas of like the school of money, the school of love. Can you talk about like the school of love and what that looked like for you and what constitutes like a graduation from that kind of school? Yes. Yes. Great question. So in my book, I do talk about these three schools because over the last 20 years, I've noticed that people primarily chronically are, you know, just coming up against their stuff in either the school of money, the school of health or the school of love. And for any of you listening, you might be like, well, I'm in like two or all three of those camps. Like at, at this time in my life, I was definitely in the school of love and money. And I really, I was tired of it. Like I'm sure so many women are because we all are seeking our vibrational match. And so for me at that time, it was more important for me to call in my soulmate than to figure out the money mystery. So I really, I really dove in. I did, I was doing the personal development work. I was reading the books. I was declaring that I was going to call. And for me, I wanted a king of a man. That was sort of an archetype that I resonated with. Those many awesome archetypes. And that was the one that I was aligned with. And so first and foremost, I committed to manifesting my soulmate. Like I didn't see many healthy, happy marriages around me. So I wasn't even sure why I was like so deeply going for marriage because I was like, I didn't really... I didn't want what most of those other couples had, but I was determined for my love life to be different. So I started studying men. And what I realized was I just didn't understand them. Like, I didn't understand, like, like, are you supposed to like, just be nice and is being nice offering to pay for dinner and like, and just like showing up at his gigs and being that, you know, or is it having a backbone and setting about yeah, like, I just was very naive. I didn't have a strong sense of self at the time. I had big dreams, but I didn't know how to be confident being me because I didn't know who me was. So easier to study other people than me. So I started studying men. And then I really realized like, oh my goodness, the rightful partner to a king is a queen. 
And I'm like, if I'm looking to call it a king, I'm like, oh, great. Now I know nothing about what it is to be a queen. So I got to start studying that too. So that's what happened or how it happened for me. And like, you know, I would study some of the books like Fire in the Belly or Iron John, some of like the classics about, you know, and then later on some of David Data's work, The Way of the Superior Man. And it was so eye-opening for me because basically I was doing everything for what I wanted, there's a thousand ways to do relationships, but for what I wanted, I was like 180 degrees opposite of what I was looking like. I was pursuing the man. I wanted to be pursued. I was just being nice versus like being myself. I'm a lot of things, but nice is just not one of them. Like, you know, I'm interesting. I'm sexy. I'm sassy. I'm like nice. Like that. It's, it's just not me. So that's how I called in my soulmate was I made a decision that I was going to, I did the work and I studied. And then for me, I became, I do write about it in my book a bit. I became unavailable to date. And that was a big difference for me. Like I like all through my twenties, I really, 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 really wanted to find my husband and my soulmate and wanting doesn't work. Wanting does nothing. If, we, if wanting would work, we'd all be like skinny, happily, you know, connected to our soulmate billionaires by now. And so it was really dropping into a place of becoming unavailable for the, the drama, for the lack, for the dysfunction. In that becoming unavailable, one of the biggest pieces I discovered in the process was I was trying to marry who I actually wanted to become. Like I was going after these alleged rock stars. I wanted to be the rock star of my life. I was showing up at their gigs. I wanted my partner to show up at my gigs. And so when I took ownership over, I didn't need to date a rock star. I needed to be the one that I already am in my own way everything changed. Like I developed a sense of self. Like I knew what I wanted. I was confident and I was showing up as me. And then I became this vivacious, high vibrational match to my soulmate who is now the, I just wrote about this yesterday, the easiest part of my life. Like glad, I don't know how many years have we been together, whatever, since 2004, whatever that is like, you know, 1812 is basically. And, and he's the easiest part of my life. And it can be that way. I want to go back to a few things. And I saw that post yesterday and I was like, I honestly completely agree. And it's the first relationship I've ever felt that way. Relationships used to feel so anxiety producing. I honestly did not know how to function in a relationship because I was, and I loved what you said about like the different messages were fed. I remember reading why men love bitches And then on the other hand, seeing in movies that I'm supposed to be like the damsel in distress, that's Mm -hmm. just like this passive person. And I'm like, which one is it? Because I don't identify with either of those. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I started figuring out who I was and figuring out how I wanted to operate in a relationship that I was finally able to make any progress in terms of, you know, my school of love and The other thing that you said of, I was unavailable to date. I love that. I feel like it's such a stronger way of just saying, I'm not going to fall in love with potential, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because I hear that all the time too. It's like, oh, I want to get married, 
yet this was, I mean, this was hundred percent me for a long time. That was my school of love was emotionally unavailable, non-committal men who would basically say to my face, I don't want to get married. And I'm like, okay. And then I would stay until I was like almost literally dragged out of the relationships. And it wasn't until I was like, I don't care about rules. I don't care about being too much. I'm going to find out if this person wants to, you know, be married early on. And the funny thing was, once I set that intention, it was never an issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't even have to ask because that the kind of people that were coming into my orbit were people that wanted to commit. Exactly. Because we are so powerful. We create our realities. And so if there's something miserable going on in our reality, if there's a dynamic that we don't like, then we get to change that. And it comes from this place of non-negotiable. It can't be a want or a wish or a hope. It's got to be like you claiming it for yourself and declaring it. You also talk about in the book, you were in this seminar and they were talking about this idea of like patterns in relationships. Mm -hmm. And you had this like slap to the face moment where you realized, I think you even said like you realized a lot of the same patterns that you had with money translated to relationships. Can you talk a little bit about that? I thought that was so fascinating. Yes. Yes. So here I am, like, I want to call my soulmate. I want to be married. I want to be with this king of a man. Like I like it. And then what I looked at were what were my actual beliefs around men? And I was like, they're not there for me. They're there for other people. They're weak. You can't trust them. You can't rely on them. It's like hard to like go back and think of like, because it's like the opposite of what I think today, but um, hold on. Like what else did I think? I had to, to work for them. I had to take care of them. Like it was all this stuff. And then I sat there and I was like, okay, if your beliefs create your reality, like it is amazing that I ever went on a date ever in my life. Like if that's the vibration you're putting out there, like men are weak, bad, wrong, like there for other people, not there for me, like your vibration. So I'm literally telling the universe, like men aren't there for me. It's the universe. Like I'm going to give you what you believe. Like men aren't there. For and then I'm like surprised that I'm like invisible to men. So that was one of the biggest relationship or one of the biggest awarenesses I had about my relationship dynamics. And then because I'm, you know, even more in the school of money than I am in the school of love, it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks of like, oh my gosh, that's exactly the same beliefs I have around money. Like money's not there for me. It's there for other people. I have to work really hard for it. I can't count on it. I can't trust it. And it's ultimately where I came up with a program called Men and Money because I realized that, you know, it's root chakra issues that the good news is, is once you heal it and start to turn it around, like when you work on one, you're by definition working on the other one. But these unconscious beliefs, they can be so tricky and almost we can feel like it's sneaky and it's blindsiding and it's humbling and embarrassing because it's not who we are. And then we don't even see it. And it just feels so vulnerable and annoying <laughs> until we wake up and just like, oh, okay, I can take ownership that I have a belief about men aren't there. They're not powerful. They're not there for me. Ironically, after I woke up to that awareness, I was at my cousin's house and there was a documentary that we watched. I'm pretty sure it's called Band of Brothers. And it was a documentary about World War II vets. And like, 
I'm just, that's not my go-to from a movie genre. And I watched like 10 hours in a row. And I, I started to see men in a different way. And I started to see these men who were in the military, regardless of your political views or any of that, like these men were there to protect. They were there to be generous. They were like giving of their lives, giving of their time. It was like, I just, I was like, what? I didn't see men as strong. I didn't see them as protectors. I didn't see them as providers for, you know, all of my own past stuff. And it's like, and I saw them as good and, and as all the things I just mentioned. So it started to turn things around for me. And then I thought, all right, then that's the type of man I'm going to call in. That's beautiful. And I think there's something to be said about just having like a, a little bit of open-mindedness and like willingness to, to see things different. Like so many of the massive changes in my life didn't just take place because one day I believe this and then the next day I woke up and believe something different. It was like, maybe I could start seeing this differently, or maybe there's another way. Maybe I don't know everything about this. And then it like, then I start like slowly getting messages I always used to call them like God winks. Like I start getting these little God winks and they just start like opening up my viewpoint. And that's why I have so many listeners and followers that will send me messages that will say like, my ex was my last chance at love or I'm done. Mm -hmm. Like these very declarative Mm -hmm. statements. And I'm like, if you feel that way right now, like, you can feel that way, but don't like, you got to watch the language that you're using, because if you think you're done in relationships, you're not going to see relationship prospects. But if you say like, I'm really sad about my, my breakup, but I'm, I'm willing and I'm open to see things that are new to me. That's a big difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And listen, Honey, anyone who's thinking that, like, no one walks down the aisle wishing they were with the last one. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's always, what was I thinking? How did I think this was as good as it could get? So lots of love and compassion and tenderness, because I... I know that feeling when you, like, just can't imagine anything better, especially if they broke up with you. I remember one of my breakups, it was like, the whole relationship, I was like, he's not worthy of me. He's not the one. This isn't ha- like whatever. This is just a until like what. And then he went and broke up with me. And I was devastated. <laughs> I cried every day for nine months, Kendra. Every I would wake up and just cry. And I was like, Gina, Devi, what is wrong with you? You didn't even like it when you were in. But I didn't like him. He was adorable in some ways. But like, it was like. He was never like, oh my gosh, this is the one. And, and that's where I really discovered rejection breeds obsession. Yes. Which I loved that line and definitely wanted to ask you where, like, where does that stem from? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I got to give Tony Robbins some credits. I first heard it from him. So we'll give credit where credit is due. But as you know, as a former psychotherapist, I understand it. You know, it's like in the psyche, there's nothing we want more than what we can't have. You know, it's like, you know, when you go to a restaurant and you're like, you're looking at the menu and you're like looking between the pasta or the fish or the, the 
chicken and you're like not even looking at the pork chop but then the, like the waiter comes to the table it's like so we've got everything on the menu except the pork chop and you're like but that's what i wanted <laughs> you know, like, it's like a thing around fear and scarcity and if we think that we can't have something we we can almost go into this panic state of survival thinking that that's what we need and we get fixated on it like we become obsessed until we do the spiritual work, the work that is in so many other books and in my book included of understanding that, you know, rejection is redirection. And oftentimes the universe is doing for us what we can't or won't do for ourselves, you know, whether it's dating or whether it's sometimes I've seen it in my own career, like team members, it's like, there's all this inept work happening, but I won't let them go. And then they quit. And then I'm like, what? (laughs) Same thing, you know, or our friendship circles can feel the same way. You're like all of a sudden not invited to whatever we can get fixated on what we don't have, or we can say, oh, okay, well that group of girls is going and doing that social, whatever. And that team member is going on that path. And that you know, person I was dating is is going in that direction. Like, and then you redirect your focus. You're like, if you come from a place of the universe does have your back and God is not about boring, but glory, like, okay, where's my glory coming from? Like, where's the person I'm supposed to date next? And where's the person who is supposed to be on my team? And what friends am I meant to socialize with? And all this, like, just awesomeness that we think we have the best answer, solution, outcome, all of it, the universe will always, always lift us higher. And I think too, well, I get a lot of messages of people who they were the ones that ended the relationships. And they were like, obviously I didn't want to be in the relationship. I ended it. I found out that they're dating someone new and I'm freaking out. And I'm like, it's common. Like that's just Mm -hmm. a common thing that happens. It's just a human thing. But I ask people often, I'm like, where has there been other rejection in your life, whether it's in a job or in a past relationship? And when has that rejection ever like doomed you? You know, Mm -hmm. it it never has. It never has. And I think people can look around even in their life of friends that were, you know, going through a breakup and, you know, your friends telling you about the breakup and in your mind, you're like, this is the best thing for you. Like, I, I know it, <laughs> but it's so hard when we're in the thick of it to see something for yes. ourselves. So I give tools in my book and one of them is around the comparison trap. And so whether you're comparing yourself to another woman or another man or somebody else who's moved on. So when you look at that X and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that he's like found love again or moved on or making up all this, like whatever it is. If you look at what it is triggering within you and all that's showing you is you have a desire to be in love. You have a desire to date someone that you're having so much fun with. You want companionship in your life. And if we can almost like psychically thank the person for reminding us what we desire for ourselves in our own life, then 
you can get so focused on, okay, right. I had actually given up on relationships working out, or I thought I was telling myself that I needed to take some space and time, but actually what I do desire is to be in relationship and then go and place your focus there because we know we get what we focus on. And so I talk about in my book, writing the cosmic thank you note. It's not always appropriate to actually send it, but to write it and say, you know, all that is, is jealousy and envy. And the fastest way to turn that around is to acknowledge that you desire whatever it is you're envying for yourself and that you have the power to create that for yourself. So then life gets so much more refreshing and exciting and you feel empowered again. So write the cosmic thank you note. If you are a listener of this podcast, you know I warn about how your phone can either be a great tool or a huge obstacle when it comes to getting over your breakup. Instead of spending time on your phone trying to figure out what your ex is up to, why not spend some time engaging in a super fun mystery game that will help take your mind off your breakup? June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I am such a big mystery and puzzle fan, so this game has been so fun for me to get into. When I'm looking for a little escape from reality during the day or a way to relax that doesn't involve social media, it's been so fun to use my brain in a new way by diving into June's captivating quest and engaging my sense of observation to find the hidden clues. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It is so important to share your thoughts and feelings while going through a breakup, especially if it's something you're feeling any guilt or shame around. I know whenever I'm struggling with a certain thought or situation and I keep it to myself, it gets heavier and heavier and feels harder and harder to manage. I truly believe we are as sick as our secrets. Therapy has always been a safe space for me to have a judgment-free zone to get things off my chest. Whether it's something from my past, a current struggle, or something I'm anxious about in the future, I always feel lighter when I'm able to share something that feels scary. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash heartbreak. The last time I went through a breakup, I know my mom was someone I was really able to lean on and get support from. She has always been a rock for me through heartbreak and everything in between. And with Mother's Day right around the corner, I wanted to share an idea of something super special that you can gift to your mom. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Every week, they will email your mom a question, and she can either type out an answer or record one. And at the end, MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book, and they can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. I gifted my mom this, and it means so much to me that I can not only learn so many of her stories, but also preserve them for my kids and future generations. My mom has already talked about how fun it's been for her to reflect on her past and think about things that she hasn't in so long. It even prompted her to dig up some old photos from when she was in the newspaper for being the only female mail carrier in Detroit in the 60s. So cool. 
check out mylifeinabook.com and use code heartbreak at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code heartbreak for 10% off today. I love that idea. And I think when people are coming out of really good relationships and for, you know, sometimes coming out of a really good relationship feels harder, but I tell people like, you're already on your way there. Like, you know Mm -hmm. what a good relationship is. You've felt it, you've experienced it. It's been affirmed that it's possible. And I'm like, it's a lot, you know, less of a leap to go from a good relationship to a great relationship than it is to go from something that might be toxic or bad or abusive or anything like that into a good relationship. So those, a lot of times they can just affirm for you. Like I've had a lot of nice guy relationships that I really needed at the time because Mm -hmm. I was with really bad Mm -hmm. guys Mm -hmm. and they ended, but it was the, the thing I needed to be like, okay, there are good people out there. There are good guys out there. And then I could move on that way. Yes, yes, yes. I think that can almost be one of like the even trickier spaces. One of my best, best friends just completed a long-term committed relationship with an amazing guy. Like we're friends with him. We're friends as couples. My husband's friends with him. And, and there was so much in their relationship that was awesome. So that we have two awesome people. There was so much of their, I would even say like 75% of their relationship was awesome. And the 25% that wasn't was honestly, it was just a different in preference. It was like a difference in value system. Nobody was right, wrong. Nobody, like you were talking about, nobody was abusive or toxic. It was just like one preferred chocolate, one preferred vanilla. It was like, you know, and for them, they didn't want swirl. Like they're the truth. If they were being honest with themselves, they didn't like swirl. Didn't feel like a good compromise. It felt like a sacrifice. And, you know, there are so many messages in society where, you know, my friend would come to me and she'd be like, am I just, am I being too picky? Am I like just being unrealistic? Everyone talks about how like relationships are work and, it's like, and, I, and that's where I think I almost came up with the phrase, Glenn's the easiest part of my life. Like it's, it's not meant to be this much of a work. I don't consider our conversations about he wants one thing I want another to end up in sacrifice or like this constant compromise. Like we, we find a way where it it becomes a win-win when two people are really compatible. And so for the women out there thinking like, well, I got 75% good. Like here's how, you know, he's not the one. If you're wondering if he is, you know, it's like, there's dynamics in my relationship with my husband that are not my favorite parts about the relationship, but it doesn't make me wonder or didn't have me wonder, is this who I should be? It was such an obvious, complete, this is the one that there, it takes the wonder out of it. And I think one thing that I loved that you talked about is that you made this because I think a lot of people get stuck in that me included of like, they're great on paper they're nice. They, you know, they get along with my family or whatever your like, you know, checklist qualifications are. But I love that you asked, how does your 
like your ideal partner make you feel. Mm -hmm. And like, for me, peace is really important in my relationship. I love the feeling of it being easy and effortless, all of those things. But I don't think a lot of people think about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. How do you explore how do you, not what kind of person do you want, but how do you want to feel? And then allowing, you know, the universe to bring that kind of person in. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's incredible that you know yourself that well. That is a very evident that you have done a level of work on yourself where you know what your values are. And it's such a non-negotiable, like, and you're unapologetic about it. Like, I desire to feel at peace, grounded, like, you know, and this is where, you know, everyone's like looking outside of themselves for the person, like, you got to fall in love with you. And when you fall in love with you and love who you are unapologetically, then you get to know yourself at that deep level. And I remember one of my things was I wanted to be claimed. And I remember one of my mentors, not just even girl, one of my mentors was like, she thought that was ridiculous, you know? And she was like, you know, what if a heroin addict wants to claim you or whatever? And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to know the difference. Like I knew I wanted to be claimed by a king of a man. And it was like, I had my checklist and I was really clear, you know, black hair, green eyes, 36, Italian, house on Lake Como. Like, like it was like rock star, like all of those things. And I got a blonde haired, blue eyed, chiropractor from Michigan. Oh, P.S. Because I came from such a Christian background, never married before, not, didn't have kids. Oh, great. Like, I won't tell you how many times Glenn's get married because he has been married because he gets mad at me when I say that. But not only does he have kids, he has grandkids and his kids are my age. I mean, you know, like, come on, universe. Like it's and does it has it impacted our relationship at all that he's like, older than me, that he's got kids my age, that he has blonde hair, you know, like whatever. The fact that he is a cat, like I wanted to marry a rock star. I'll tell you what, you turn 48, I'll tell you what a rock star is. Somebody who can adjust you after you've just gotten off a long haul flight. (laughs) I mean, he cooks beautiful meals for me and adjusts me. Like that's the new rock star at 48. But the point is when you really get to the core of what's going to light you up and have you be your most feminine self that's just at home within her, you know, then that's when relationships just feel like hand in glove. Yes. I mean, and I thank you for saying that, that I seem very grounded in that because I was not grounded in it for a really, really long, long time. And I, I was just recording a solo episode on it, but I was such a chameleon for so Mm -hmm. long. And like, I say, like, I liked who liked me basically. Right. Right. And then, you know, I would find myself in these relationships where they would end it. And I was like, I didn't even like you in the first place, but I'm absolutely devastated. And it wasn't until I took the time to really explore me and what I like and not what other people had necessarily in relationships. Cause I think that's another thing I can fall into. And I know a lot of people going through breakups fall into is like comparing yourself to like friends getting married or friends having babies and you're single and, and all of those things. And it really comes down to like, 
just because someone else has, that doesn't mean that's something that you have to have to want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. The more you get to know yourself, the, the clearer you'll be, the more you'll like radiate those vibes. And, you know, I think the more we get clean and clear energetically, like you get how much it's already done, you know, like your soulmate already exists. Your destiny has already, you know, been laid out. And it's like the more that we get to wake up and be the best version of ourselves today. And we get opportunities to just get like, get clearer on our preferences, get clearer on our non-negotiables, get clearer how we want to like show up and make a contribution, get clearer on how we want to be in relationships. So like, for example, I'm Sicilian. So you can imagine there's that spicy side to me. Well, Glenn is his own version of big personality. And he and I, not that we like, for us, it's not fighting. I think he and I are two very big, loud personalities that have no problem and are like very committed to being our authentic selves with each other, regardless of who is in the room. <laughs> so it's like, whether it's our friends, team members, and I'll be like, okay, so I think we should do this. Glenn's like, hell no. And I was like, but wait a minute, this is like, absolutely, this is what's it. And so like, at the beginning, like, you'll see their friends or team members like start to like inch away and like tiptoe back. And then one of my girlfriends, I didn't even realize this about us. So like, she's like, one of my girlfriends is like, so you two are like going at it and, you know, hands are flinging in the air and the voices are getting louder. And you like, just think that you two are about to get divorced. And then all of a sudden you guys get to some sort of resolution. Someone cracks a joke. Someone calls someone baby love and then it's done. And we're, and I'm just, She's like, I'd never seen anything like it before. So, and then a different friend, this is getting to an important point. A different friend was like, oh, like the, I can't handle how, what did she say? Something how, oh, she used the word oppressive or something. Glenn, Glenn is with, she's like, I could never be in a relationship with that level of oppression or something like that. And so the point I'm making here is my relationship works for me. And what I see go on in some other relationships where I'd be like, oh, honey, I would have called that divorce lawyer so long ago. I'd be like out, you know, here's your suitcase and five bucks for a sandwich. Like, I, like, like there's like stuff that I would never put up with in a relationship that I watch other people in. And it doesn't seem to bother them the way it would me. And like Glenn's big, loud voice and my Sicilian spiciness, like totally triggers my friend from her oppressive father dynamics. But it's like, I don't feel oppressed by Glenn. I know that I'm going to go and speak my truth. We'll hash out whatever we have to, and then we're done with it. So all of this to say, in getting to know yourself, you got to know what you're up for in relationship and what you're not. And only you get to choose. And I think a lot of that comes from when I was like absolutely in love with my boyfriend at 18, who I like swore I was going to marry. I remember my dad came to me and he's like, Kendra, there's a reason we date multiple people before we get married. He's like, you got to learn. You got to learn what you like. And you have to like experience that sometimes. Like as much as we can learn in books and listening to podcasts and all that stuff is great. Like a lot of it is like, 
And that's what I tell people when they're like, do I need to be completely over my ex before I go out and date? And I'm like, no, because a lot of the final learning things that hap- are are come from interacting with other people and being like, totally. oh, I didn't love that. Or I loved this. Like this totally lit me up at dinner. And, you know, my dad was very much right on that call. But, but yeah, I think so much of it comes from experience and like not just paying attention to, am I attracted to them? But like, do they make me feel like my stuff is important? Do they light me up? Or do I feel like inspired? Or, I mean, and those are the things that matter to me. They might be completely different. Like I have friends that would value gifts from a partner more than most things to me. And my husband, like we typically don't even buy each other gifts because they're just not that important to us. And, mm-hmm. um, and we'd rather go like on a trip together or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's such a fascinating thing to learn about that. And I was curious, like when it means to be a queen, mm-hmm. do you feel like there are some characteristics across all queens or is it really figuring out like what does it mean for you to be a queen? Great question. I think the characteristics are being the best version of yourself, whatever that is. The characteristics are speaking the truth in love, being visible, having your voice be heard and hearing your partner's voice also, valuing your desires and, you know, and valuing your partner's desires. The actual specifics do not matter. You know, right now there's something that Glenn and I are coming at from two different angles. There's like a project that we both want an outcome from and like sort of rarely for us, we want two different outcomes here. And so I think somebody that had less of a sense of self would be like, all right, well, he knows best or we just need to do what he wants. And a weaker man would just be like, just give her what she wants. It's easier not to deal. And neither one of us are, I don't want to say not backing down. Neither one of us are dimming our light. Neither one of us are saying that our, the form of our desire is less important or acquiescing. So we're, as a couple choosing to live in the question, like, is it take a stand for the end? Do we do both? How can we create a win-win? And so we're going through the motions, both of us giving ourselves and each other permission to move in the direction of our dreams and reserving the right to say, hey, you know what, as we go, and they were talking about life experiences, as we go and we try this out, like, maybe it won't be that important to me. You know, maybe I will actually want to go more in your direction or vice versa. And so I think that the top level qualities are more the qualities of a queen because the other stuff breeds resentment. If there's something that I, I want to do right now and it is completely impractical. It doesn't make any logical sense. I'm sort of the epitome of the divine feminine. Glenn is the epitome of the empowered masculine. Like he likes logical, linear, practical, predictable, like, you know, and society values masculine tendencies, the probable, the predictable, the logical, the, you know, the practical. And I'm not buckling. Like I don't value practicality more than passion. And I'm not making mine right in his wrong or vice versa. So I think that as a queen, 
knowing that if you're praying and asking, the solution will be shown. And you don't have to like go so quickly into like, okay, fine, just give him what he wants or being some sort of raging bitch about it and being like, it's going to be my way or the highway. It's really finding where are you being divinely led? I think that's more a quality of a queen. I agree. I agree completely. And I always, the saying God is in the pause. Yeah. Yeah. Like being able to just be like, Hey, if I don't know what to do, I'm not going to do anything. And I'm just going to like sit and maybe write or, you know, like just open myself up to something being different from, from how I want it. And that's been a big thing for me to learn too, because I'm such a doer Mm -hmm. in so many ways. And so learning how to like, just be me, just be myself. And I loved what you said too, that a queen values her own desires. I used to wonder why I never had a guy respect my ambitions. And it was because I didn't respect my own ambitions. So like, mm-hmm. how, how could someone have do it? How could no one could do it for me? Basically, mm-hmm. Totally. So I love that. And my last question for you, and it was funny, I was showing my husband your book this morning and I was like, this is what I'm interviewing. And he was like, I love the title. He's like, the word audacity is so striking. And I just was like, what made you pick the word audacity? Because it's such, it's a very striking word and it, you know, it, it, I think it triggers like an emotion for certain people, but I would love to know how you chose that name. Yes. It was interesting when I submitted my book proposal, this was not the title on the, of the book. I don't know. Was it like, I don't know, empower the queen within or something like that. And my brilliant editor and publisher was challenging me for, she wanted something that had more sizzle to it. And my agent, so the three of us, my agent, my publisher, and I would like go back and forth and ironically, there was a video that I did and it was called the audacity to be queen. And I was like, what about that? Like, it was like, it was already there. And it on some, like, whatever video that I had done quite a while before, I think the, in hindsight, why I love the word audacity and people do misconstrue it. People, I think people think audacity is similar to obnoxious or, you know, kind of a bit of a, or like the nerve kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it takes audacity. Like there's risk in being queen. There's a level of courage and confidence that's a little even beyond courageous, if you will. Like there's like this audacity to saying what you think, you know, not being a people pleaser, wearing what you want to wear, regardless of what you think others might say, you know, being with the person that you just know is right for you, but your family doesn't think he looks right on paper or whatever, you know, like there's a real audacity to showing up as the real version of yourself. So I think that's why I liked the word so much. Yeah. Cause it does, it gives, I think it challenges you to realize like, Hey, this might take like breaking the people pleasing, breaking the, and the time when I read this book, I was really struggling with 
letting go of certain people in my life who are not supportive of what I wanted to do, which is break up bestie in this podcast and my business. And it was, it wasn't like I value business more than friendship. It was, I value me and what I want more than anything else. And that was like the big difference for me. And that was like one of the big messages that came out of this book for me. So yeah. And I love that. I'm sure whoever picks up this book, they'll get a different message. Yeah. There was somebody actually even from Greece who was interviewing me when the book came out and she's like, audacity doesn't have the best connotation. Why'd you pick that word? I was like, I think it's getting a little lost in translation. And it's not for everyone. You know, I think even the word queen, I mean, I think that can be so highly charged or come with an eye roll or people just like aren't into it. And honestly, I'm not into it. I'm not even into the word queen from the kind of mainstream queen and, and tiaras and crowns and stuff. It's yes. Once you get into the substance of the book, I think there it's like when two people have watched the same movie and you're able to like have a different conversation than just like the movie title or what you think the movie is even about. And that's what happens with audacity, with queen, with the whole body of, of this work is when you get into it, you will have your own experience of what it is for you. Yeah. And I, I encourage everyone to go out and read it and I will put the link. I mean, you can purchase it. I assume everywhere books yes. are yes, sold yes. and where can people connect with you if they want to learn more about you hear your videos. You, Kendra. Yes. Well, so if you go to divineliving.com forward slash book, there's like all the places you can get the book. If you go to divineliving.com forward slash audacity, there is a free companion course to the book. So whether or not you buy the book, there's like videos, workbooks. I just wanted a place of positive programming where people could have a supplement to the book also, but you know, that's up to you. And then I would say, and then follow me on Instagram. I'm at Gina Denise. Well, thank you so much, Gina, for, for coming on and speaking with me. And I hope everyone goes out and gets this book and gets, you know, the same courage and inspiration that I got from it. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a delight to be here. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise.